Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99 percent of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's stephan tubbs Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you so much for your time, and we appreciate those of you especially who make us a weekly habit every Sunday at noon here on 710 KNUS. Straight ahead, we will take a look at just this past week, the commemoration, the mark six months after Russia invaded Ukraine. We will talk about that in a couple of segments straight ahead. As well as, well, a great interview, I think, and he is an amazing patriot. Jim Banks is a congressman from the state of Indiana. I had a chance to meet him at the Western Conservative Summit earlier this year in Colorado. Representative Banks, he's on the House Armed Services Committee and certainly knows what he's talking about when it comes to United States troops in foreign territory. Well, I serve in the Navy Reserves, and I'm, I'm a Supply Corps logistics officer. It wasn't too soon after I finished up all of my training that I was deployed to Afghanistan 2014 and 15. I was a state senator at the time, so it was a unique situation where I was deployed. I uh, had to take a leave of absence from serving in the state legislature. We will talk with Jim Banks, who was a guest on our regular program. That comes up in our next Segment. We also, with Representative Banks, take a look at what was happening even as we speak one year ago today, the debacle of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And we will pay respects to the 13 men and women who were killed as a result of a failure. And we'll wrap up the program with a great golf tournament. For you patriots, we'll talk with Folds of Honor. That will wrap up this week's edition. We couldn't do programs like this without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson, and his team fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Thank you to John. Thank you to everyone connected with Boson Law. Their support has been unwavering for years, and we could not do it without them. Perhaps you need them for a little bit of assistance, especially if you are, say, in a position you feel like there's nowhere to go. 
bosonlaw.com. That's B-O-E-S-E-N law, bosonlaw.com, or their easy phone number, 303-999-9999. And if you do call or contact, please tell them you heard about his law firm here on the American Veteran Show. As we begin, we look back six months later. Let's get the latest on the situation in Ukraine then and take stock of where we've come over six months. Mark Champion, our senior reporter for international affairs, joins us here in London. Mark, a very good morning to you. We're six months in. We had these warnings that Russia's strikes could intensify. What is the state of play right now then? Uh, well, essentially, it's extremely uh, stable. If you think at the beginning of the war, we didn't know where the front line would be from day to day, from hour to hour almost, around Kiev in particular. Um, it's one of the reasons why a number of people got hurt and killed, mm. uh, you know, covering the, the story. Uh, today, it's a much more stable situation, uh, it's, uh, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, neither side really has the force, the ability uh, to break through the other. Uh, the Russians are, um, you know, moving troops around, but digging them in uh, to make sure that they can't be pushed back. Mm. Uh, at this, you know, neither side is willing to talk. Neither side is ready for a ceasefire. The Ukrainians, you know, the Russians are now in control of 20% of Ukrainian territory. Um, they control parts of it, including the bottom of the Dnipro River that make the economy almost um, well, very difficult to function. Uh, so uh, there's very little prospect of, um, you know, an end to the war. Uh, and, you know, how it ends, I think, you know, really nobody knows. Mark, you've kind of answered my follow-up question there. That you're saying it's exceptionally stable. There's a kind of a stalemate there. The Russian troops are digging in. Neither side's willing to talk. So, you know, what is the timeline we're talking about for this invasion now? Are, are we presuming this is going to last for years, or is there any sign of any optimism on the horizon? Uh, there's very little optimism, but uh, you know, as to whether it's another six months or years, uh, you know, that that again is very difficult to say. Um, there are reasons that you know either side is going to uh, find it difficult to continue for a long time. For the Ukrainians, they are completely dependent on aid, uh, military aid, financial aid uh, from the West. Uh, for the Russians, uh, they uh, are under sanctions, and it is very difficult for them to replace their munitions. They don't have, you know, every. There was a study recently that said, you know, in 27 different Russian uh, weapon systems. They found 450 different pieces of Western, uh, you know, components, most of them American. Uh, mm -hmm. To get those to, re you know, replace the stuff that's being uh, fired is going to be quite difficult for the Russians too. So there, there, there may be a hard stop on the war, but where that is, we don't know. And, and as we mark this six months of the war taking place, Mark, you've written a, an interesting piece that goes back to some of the assumptions we made at the beginning of the conflict about how quickly it would be over, how uh, strong the Russian military would be, how quickly Kiev might be taken, and all sorts of other assumptions, how Russia might respond. And, and our assessments, I suppose, have been found wanting, or the international community's assessments. What have we learned about, for example, the strength of the, of the Russian military? Well, it's much uh, weaker, uh, much less efficient, and uh, its command is less competent than, than we thought. Uh, its equipment, uh, which you know, they've been modernizing for the last decade, and you know, many people had thought that uh, some of this was you know, better than American equipment. Uh, NATO equipment, uh, you know, all of those assumptions are being questioned now. Um, and it's, you know, if you look at uh, how difficult a time the Russians have had putting together a combined forces operation, what, you know, many analysts say is that, you know, they, they aren't able to do things that even medium-sized NATO countries are able to do. That from Bloomberg just last week. This from ABC News. The Russian military has begun a brutal assault on the people of Ukraine. Without provocation, without justification, without necessity, this is a premeditated attack. The history of this area is written. 
Putin's choice to make a totally unjustifiable war on Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. President Biden, six months ago this week, responding to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this week brought a dire warning about the safety of Europe's largest nuclear power plant. ABC's Brit Clinet is on the ground in Ukraine, tracking the very latest. Good morning, Brit. Good morning, John. Yeah, the daughter of a close Putin ally, Alexander Dugan, reportedly killed in a suspicious blast today. Her family saying she borrowed her father's car, suggesting he was the target. Now, Dugan is a staunch supporter of the war here in Ukraine. Russia says it's now investigating it as a murder. And look, if it turns out Ukraine is behind the attack, it would add to signs that Ukraine is willing and able to take its fight beyond Ukrainian territory. This week, six months into Putin's invasion of Ukraine, there are serious fears the fighting could turn into a nuclear catastrophe. Russia and Ukraine repeatedly pinning the blame on each other for the attacks that are threatening the safety of Europe's largest nuclear plant in Zaporizhia. The tense situation there sparking an exodus. We visited an evacuation centre in Zaporizhia as hundreds arrived from occupied Russian territory. We've been told to expect a huge convoy of cars coming in from the Russian-occupied areas, and here they are taking everything they have to find a safe passage and get out of here. We spoke with one of the plant's engineers, asking us not to show his face for fear of retaliation. Well, it might well be like another Chernobyl, he says. If the storage is hit badly, there will be radioactive clouds and pollution. Global calls for independent inspectors to visit the plant growing this week, culminating in a visit with President Zelensky by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Common sense must prevail to avoid any actions that might endanger the physical integrity, safety or security of the nuclear plant. And the facility must not be used as part of any military operation. Zelensky also meeting with Turkish President Erdogan, touted as a potential power broker. But a call between French President Macron and Putin appears to have made headway. Putin finally agreeing to an independent visit by the International Atomic Energy Agency to inspect the plant as soon as possible. And this week, the US also stepping up its commitment in Ukraine announcing plans to send a $775 million military aid package that takes the total of U.S. spending in Ukraine to $10 billion since the war began six months ago, with no sign of slowing down. Again, that from ABC News. We'll take our first pause. Later on in the program, we will continue our look at the six-month mark, Russia invading Ukraine. But right around the corner... We will hear from our interview just this past week on the regular program, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, a United States Navy veteran still in the reserves, Indiana, Representative Jim Banks. Glad you're with us on this Sunday. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue the American Veteran Show. As mentioned, Jim Banks, Republican congressman from Indiana, a United States Navy veteran. He joined us just a few days ago on our regular program. Well, I serve in the Navy Reserves, and I'm I'm a Supply Corps logistics officer. It wasn't too soon after I finished up all of my training that I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2014 and 15. I was a state senator at the time, so it was a unique where I was deployed, uh, had to take a leave of absence from serving in the state legislature, uh, went to Afghanistan. And the, in the latter part of our 
efforts there. I mean, it, it, it still makes me sick to my stomach, by the way, what happened a year ago from this week, that the, the drastic pullout um, that led to the Taliban, uh, ISIS-K, and uh, worse groups taking over Afghanistan. Fast forward to a year later where we are today, and things are more dangerous in Afghanistan today than they were on 9-11 over 20 years ago. So uh, it's just a, a, an example of the incompetence of the Biden administration. We, we really do have the weakest commander in chief I believe we've ever had in the White House uh, serving today. And Afghanistan is a big, uh, a big example of what his poor leadership has led to. You know, you look at this and I, I have not changed my tune. I'm sure you have not as well. And you literally had skin in the game, your own body. You were one of our men and women in Afghanistan. And I call this, I don't know if it's even arguable, the biggest debacle, the most embarrassing moment on a global stage for the United States of America in our history. And then how soon we forget, uh, of course, those being in Washington and in this administration, you know, lost is the talk and the constant media coverage, Jim, of the 13 United States men and women who, because of botched planning and a really poor exit, and that's the kindest I can make it. I mean, th that's our most precious treasure. I'd love to get your take. Well, it's well put. Uh, and the fallout is, is uh, you know, uh, the, the, lot, the 13 lives lost, obviously, um, uh, uh, terrible. And it didn't have to happen that way. I serve on the Armed Services Committee, and I, I served closely with President Trump over the four years he was in the White House. I can tell you that President Trump had us on our way to pull out of Afghanistan in a responsible way that, that would have led to uh, avoiding the situation that ended up happening on Joe Biden's watch. It just wouldn't have happened if Donald Trump was in the White House. So in the months after that, I, as I traveled, I was I was at the Munich Security Conference. I go to the I go to that event every year. I usually go with Senator Lindsey Graham, who leads a delegation of us there. And we meet with uh, defense leaders and uh, and and other leaders from many of our uh, many other countries, many of them allies, some of them not. And I can tell you that just a few months after the situation in Afghanistan happened, at the earliest part of this year. Every single meeting that we had, every room of foreign leaders that we in, we were in, Afghanistan was a dark cloud that hung over America's head. The, the rest of the world saw us differently after that moment than what they saw us before. Our adversaries didn't fear us as much, and our allies didn't respect us as much as be, because of what happened in Afghanistan. So, but just to underscore the underscore the point. Donald Trump was sending us down a path to responsibly pull out to end the longest war in American history, but to leave a light footprint of special operation forces in Afghanistan uh, to keep the situation uh, secure and, and not allow ISIS-K and these, these other groups to take over the country and turn it into a safe harbor for terrorism. But that's exactly what's happened there today. And my fear is that it won't be that long before something will happen that will lead us back, uh, back into a situation in that part of the world again. Representative Jim Banks is our guest, and uh, we'll also have him and include him as part of this interview on our American Veteran Show program coming up this Sunday noon on 710 KNUS. He's, uh, as he mentioned, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, uh, United States Navy veteran in uh, in Afghanistan, as, as he put it. You know, I'm looking at, uh, I just kind of put in Mr. Google. I, I said, what happened uh, one year ago today, August 25th? 
2021. And here's a headline, Jim, that I see. Uh, the key headline in one of these updates from one year ago today, quote, leave immediately. And then the headline continues, U.S. tells citizens at some airport gates as allies warn a very high threat, leave immediately. I mean, we left there in a debacle and uh, billions of dollars of equipment, as you know, Afghanis uh, running down the, uh, the the tarmac at Karzai International trying to get on that that C-130, it just so much of it is so frustrating a year later. But who the hell is taking responsibility in D.C.? I don't see this president doing that. Yeah, this president, his top military leaders, all of whom are, are responsible for what happened there. And nobody's been held accountable for it. I mean, I could tell you on the Armed Services Committee, whenever General Milley comes before our committee, we hammer him with questions and, and uh, demand answers about what happened in Afghanistan. And he refuses to answer them. In fact, he was the one that said just prior to the deadly the deadly situation that happened in Afghanistan after the pullout. I mean, just you know, a week or two before that, he said that uh, that that Afghanistan was secure, Kabul right. wasn't going to fall, right. not going to fall for several months. If it does fall, completely downplay the situation, and then it just happened. It seemed like it happened overnight. The Taliban marched in and took over. The incompetence when they closed Bagram Airfield, which is a was a major base there. And then, which was our, that, that was the airfield that we would evacuate our troops, evacuate all that equipment that we left behind. Nobody's been held accountable for that. Nope. I mean, at this point, the Taliban has a bigger air force than most of the, re- the most other countries in the world because we left all of the aircraft behind, weapons and ammunition, night vision goggles, all this stuff behind that should have been destroyed or evacuated before they pulled out the way that they did. So, no accountability, no oversight. The, the Democrats who are controlling the House and the Senate today will not uh, will not touch this subject because they know it's embarrassing for the administration of their own party. And th- that's what's going to change on January 2nd. When, when Nancy Pelosi gives that gavel to Kevin McCarthy and he becomes Speaker of the House and Republicans take over leadership of the committees, the Oversight Committee, Jamie Comer from Kentucky will be the new chairman of that committee. Mike Rogers from Alabama would be the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. Um, you know, we might still have a we'll still have a Democrat in the White House. We'll have a Republican-led House of Representatives. I don't know what will happen in the Senate, but with that majority comes uh, fulfilling our oversight responsibilities, mm-hmm. oversight, investigations, accountability. And at the top of that list for me is Afghanistan, because again, like, like, as you've already said so well, the fallout of the debacle in Afghanistan is something that's going to haunt America for a long time. Yeah, I I know I sound to maybe some of our audience as a broken record. Uh, I continually talk about this and have for uh, damn near uh, exactly to the day, 12 months later, uh, when we lost our 13 servicemen and women. One more point on this, and I'm just looking back at not only headlines, but some articles. Again, this was one year ago today, Jim. This was in the Washington Post. And I quote, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and other U.S. officials have warned that the Islamic State terrorist organization poses a threat to the evacuation mission. And the U.S. Embassy statement identified the airport's Abbey Gate as an area of particular concern. They had the warnings. This was this was just maybe one of the most heartbreaking for members of, of those service members' families, is that they knew this. There was intel and still... Our men and women were put in in a no-win situation. If nothing had happened, they were still in harm's way. But to see, literally, as uh, we look back a year later, 
that this was in a newspaper article. If it gets to a newspaper article, Jim, I mean, my God, what did they know behind the scenes that we'll never know? Yeah, it's it's stunning to hear you read that headline. Uh, you know, completely missed a year ago that, that when, especially after the deadly situation happened at the Abbey Gate and a, a, a spot that I knew well from my time and in serving there in, in, in Kabul, the, the capital city of Afghanistan. So, again, these are serious issues that nobody has been held accountable for. And, and that's the that's really the sad part of it. If you don't hold hold those military leaders who were incompetent, who made bad decisions, put our troops in harm's way in the case of losing 13 of our service members, if no one's ever held accountable for that, then, then we're doomed to repeat the same type of incompetent situations in the future. So that that's why it matters. That's why Republicans have a moral duty to get to the bottom of it, to launch an investigation. The Republicans have a long list of, of oversight and investigations priorities. But for me, Afghanistan's at the top of the list. Again, Representative Jim Banks, who I met at the Western Conservative Summit earlier this summer here in Colorado, has Colorado connections and a true patriot. And we appreciate his time. And of course, uh, we will continue to have our relationship and hopefully have him on the American Veteran Show straight ahead. When we come back, we will talk more about the six-month mark just this past week. Russia invades Ukraine. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. Welcome back to the program as we continue part two of our coverage this episode of the six-month mark, Russia invading Ukraine. And before we get to reports from ABC and CBS News, I think it's maybe important for those of us even with zero connections to the military, even if you don't have any connection with anything going on in Europe or Ukraine. May we always remember that as long as this goes on, and probably probably down the road as well, anywhere between 8 and 15 million Ukrainians, most of them women and children, remain out of their homeland and remain refugees. Now with the latest, here this from ABC News, six months, the mark just last week. Russia invades Ukraine. Vladimir Putin's endgame remains unclear. And now Ukraine's about to get more help from the U.S. ABC's Andrew Dimbert takes a look. This morning, the Biden administration is set to announce its largest aid package for Ukraine so far. Sources say the military aid will total about $3 billion, adding to the $10.6 billion the U.S. has sent Ukraine since the war began. Today marks six months since the Russian invasion. The U.N. reports 5,587 civilian deaths in the war so far, but that number is likely much higher. Today also marks a major holiday in Ukraine, Independence Day, celebrating the country's break from Soviet rule in 1991. On the eve of the holiday, new video posted online shows missiles striking the country's second largest city. Independence Day celebrations have been canceled across the country. Ukraine, Ukraine. 
President Zelensky warning Russia may be planning, quote, hideous provocations and brutal strikes. The U.S. State Department says Russia is stepping up efforts to strike highly populated areas. Independence Day has just begun here in Ukraine and the country is braced for what might happen. But Zelensky doubling down. He's saying that they won't relent until they retake back parts of the country occupied by Russia, not just in the last six months, but for years, even Crimea. Forget any peace deal for now. This war looks set to drag on for years. Meanwhile, growing concerns about the Zaporizhian nuclear plant in Ukraine, Europe's largest nuclear plant. Ukraine says Russian attacks have damaged part of the plant and briefly cut off power. The UN is calling on both sides to demilitarize the nuclear plant. Russia has rejected the idea. From this past week, ABC News, this from CBS. The U.S. has provided more financial support for Ukraine than any other country since the war began. Errol Barnett has a closer look at what it adds up to. Today marks six months since Russia invaded Ukraine. Millions of lives have been disrupted by the war, and the U.S. has committed billions of dollars to assist the country. But let's get into exactly how much money and where it has been sent. Today's announcement brings the total security assistance by the Biden administration up to $13.6 billion. That's effectively military money, and most of it has been sent. In addition, the U.S. sent $8.5 billion for budgetary support. That helps Ukraine maintain essential functions like paying salaries to healthcare workers or effectively keeping the lights on. Now, for overall humanitarian assistance, U.S. aid equals $1.52 billion. That, of course, helps feed Ukrainians and provide medical care. Now, all of this, if you're doing your fast math, adds up to roughly $24 billion in money already sent and delivered by the Biden administration, but $44 billion total, and now we have that number for you here, has been committed by Congress um, through spending bills and U.S.-backed loans from the World Bank. So if you're doing the fast math there, there's another $20 billion that has been approved and allocated, but has not yet been sent. And of course, we know there's no end in sight for this conflict, which means much more U.S. aid will likely be needed in the future. John. Earl Barnett, thank you. For more, I want to bring in former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor. Ambassador, it's good to have you back with us. Let's start with the very basic question. Six months into this invasion, what's your characterization of how things stand right now? John, uh, the Ukrainians, I think, are starting to develop the momentum. Um, They had clear momentum in the beginning um, when the Russians tried to come down the river and take the capital, Kiev, and depose the president and take over the country. And the Ukrainians pushed them back in a major victory. They pushed them back into Belarus and back into Russia. Stalemate uh, followed that in Donbass, grinding artillery battles back and forth, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, The Russians did take land, this land bridge, John, from uh, from Russia all the way to Crimea, goes through Kherson. um, And the Ukrainians now are gradually taking some of that back. Um, And they're doing it because they've got these heavy weapons that you were just talking about, uh, that that Errol and Deborah were both talking about. So the the, the Ukrainians are beginning to develop the momentum. That's fascinating. So is it your view, Ambassador, that that it's capacity on the part of the Ukrainians, or is there a contributory fact, which is that the Russians are are not very good at the fight? Um, and what's your assessment, I guess, of, of how the Russians are doing? If, if the Ukrainians have momentum, what's your characterization of the Russians? Underperforming. 
so the Russians clearly were humiliated uh, north of Kiev. Um, they weren't able to make breakthroughs in, uh, in Donbass in the east. Um, and they, they struggled to take Mariupol. You remember this, John. Uh, this was months that a small group of Ukrainian fighters held off enormous numbers of Russians in Mariupol. And, and the damage done to the Russian army has been dramatic. Uh, we heard the Pentagon talk about 80,000 Russian soldiers either killed or wounded. Uh, they started off, John, with something like 160, 180. So this is a major component, a major d- damage to the Russians. How do you think that then shapes the end game? Um, it, does it make it sooner to happen? Does it change? I mean, where do we go from here? I guess it's the simplest way to ask that. The right question is the right question. And it, the answer is it might. That is the Russian army being beat up, beaten up and the Russian military having a hard time replacing those soldiers, unlike the Ukrainians, where the morale is high um, and the volunteers are streaming in. The Ukrainians do not have problems replacing their soldiers. And let's be clear, they've lost a lot, too. There's no doubt about it. They, the, the enthusiasm, the spirit of the Ukrainians are there to replace those soldiers, which you don't see on the Russian side. So it could be that the Russians are not able to maintain their defense of what they've already taken, and the Ukrainians might be able to push them back out. The, the Russian defense minister, Shoigu, just mentioned today that they were going to slow down a bit. Um, uh, he's not clear exactly why they're going to slow down, but that's that's part of what we're seeing. That is, the Russians are really beaten and the, and the Ukrainians' morale is high. If the Russian uh, goals and aims are not total control of Ukraine and that's shifted and changed, what is your view of the ultimate position uh, in Ukraine? Is it get the Russians out of everywhere or is there a uh, possible uh, middle ground, uh, which seems like a sloppy word, but some position that Ukraine could hold that, that might lead to a, a diplomatic conclusion? I think it's more the former. That is, when you ask Ukrainians, whether you ask President Zelensky or you ask people in the military, which I do, or you ask people on the street, which I also do, what you hear from them is they want the Russians out. There is, there, they are, they, it's intolerable to Ukrainians of all stripes, no matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak, it's intolerable for the Ukrainians to allow the Russians to invade, whether it's 2014 or now in 2022, to invade and take some of their territory. So the, the short answer, John, is that the Ukrainians eventually want the, all the Russians out. They recognize it's not going to happen overnight, and they recognize that there may be steps in that direction, but the, but the Ukrainians are not now prepared to give up any territory to aggression, not prepared to reward the Russians for their aggression and their atrocities yeah. and their war yeah. crimes. Uh, this, this is just horrifying and enraging for the Ukrainians to see what kind of treatment their, their citizens are getting from the Russians, and they're not willing to give up land to them. We will continue to follow developments, not just at the six-month mark or the seven-month mark. We will continue to follow developments, and as long as, at least from this program's perspective, as long as U.S. men and women are not on the ground in that war-torn country, we will continue to at least support the Ukrainian effort from here and our country. When we come back, we will wrap up on a positive note. If you love golf, if you are a veteran, if you love golf and you're not a veteran, if you hate golf but you love veterans, 
You'll want to hear about the Patriot Day golf tournament coming up in just a couple of weeks. We'll do that next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We wrap up this week's edition with a friend of the program. He's been on this program several times and also has joined me on the regular show Monday through Friday. His name is Mike Fossey. He is with Folds of Honor. Coming up September 12th, it's the Patriot Day Golf Tournament at Ptarmigan Golf Club up in northern Colorado. Mike, it is great to have you back, and thank you so much for joining us. You're more than welcome, and we appreciate the opportunity, Stephen. Thanks. Absolutely. Mike, first, uh, tell us about your military background. I had a very short and unceremonious military background in the 70s, so I've been out of got an honorable discharge from the Marine Corps, then went to the Air Force, got an honorable discharge there, and pretty soon uh, moved out to Colorado 30 years ago and been working with the Colorado Wing of the Civil Air Patrol, which is the auxiliary of the United States Air Force, and in flying search and rescue missions. I'm a public affairs officer, and I'm a qualified FEMA-trained PIO uh, for the state of Colorado. So that's currently what I'm doing in my early retirement age years. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a retirement. We'll, we'll get to the, uh, the golf tournament coming up again and uh, should be another incredibly successful event. But you know what? I, I know I've talked about this with you before, and you've been on the program before. Look, you were in the Marine Corps, in the Air Force. It doesn't matter. You know, you did more than I did. I'm a lowly civilian, but you don't have to do and give back now. How come? Well, I, I had the opportunity to finish up in, uh, in an Air Force ROTC program, and they paid most of my college tuition. So I thought, here's an opportunity when the Air Force said we didn't need any more pilots back in 1973. I thought, well, here's an opportunity to give back and uh, had an opportunity to meet this uh, Colonel Dan Rooney four or five years ago. I can't remember. My wife and I met him mm-hmm. at a meeting. At the time, he was an Air Force major, an F-16 driver, and uh, he was working on this on this project. And I said, I think we could do that in northern Colorado. We have a lot of patriots up there, and uh, they would love to participate. And so got involved with Souls of Honor, and we've been going strong ever since. Our friend of the program, Mike Fossey, joins us and uh, the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament. Mike, tell us how we can get more information, when, where, all of that information. Well, we have uh, we appreciate the opportunity, and we, we have come into the 21st century. We have uh, information at patriotgolfnoco.com. On our website, we also have a QR code, which some of us know what it is. Some of us aren't really <laughs> sure. But we have all of the things that you need to know to, to participate, to sponsor, and donate. Patriot Golf NOCO, as in Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado. Yep. .com. What if uh, people go to that website, and certainly, friends, I hope you do, uh, what are they going to learn about this? You know, it's not just a golf tournament. You know, it's a great opportunity to uh, obviously support a terrific military charity. Uh, you also get to meet like-minded people and then throw it. It's like the, uh, I guess, the icing on the cake would be you get to play great golf, too. It's a great course. Ptarmigan Country Club in uh, Fort Collins has been around since the early 80s. It's a great opportunity to play a private course, uh, which a lot of uh, a lot of folks really enjoy. Uh, but the, the real reason to show up is that our goal at Foles of Honor is to educate uh, their legacy and honor their sacrifice. And we, we want to make sure we take care of military members that have been killed in action or wounded in action. And so far... Since 2007, Stefan, 
We've raised uh, over 145 million wow. and provided a little over 29,000 scholarships. That so, is an, uh, that's a tremendous total, and I mean, kudos and congratulations to to everyone involved with Folds of Honor. Of course, they friends have their own website, and I highly recommend that you go there as well. But for this golf tournament coming up, it's Patriot Golf. NOCO.com. We will certainly put it out on our social media as well. It's at the Ptarmigan Golf Club September 12th. It's not that long away, so September 12th. Mike, let me ask you is there a way that if somebody listening to us on the program, well, I can't make it on September 12th, but is there a way to donate and maybe say get golf for a veteran or for you know somebody that has served our, our country? And you know, I know that they would probably appreciate you know kind of a free day. There is, and we have a number of corporate sponsors who have donated uh, foursomes to uh, allow veterans to play. So again, just go ahead and uh, go to PatriotGolfNoco.com, or you can contact me. And we'll make sure it gets to the right place. That sounds good. And you can set up. Yeah. And and also, two friends, uh, I'm a couple of clicks away. You can send me an email as well. It's September 12th, 2022, coming up right around the corner of the Patriot Day Golf Tournament. And again, just want to hammer it home. Patriot Golf, N-O-C-O. Dot com. I would be remiss if I if I didn't ask you this, you know, right around this time last year. Uh, there was, uh, to me, the most embarrassing debacle and and black eye on the United States of America in our history. And that was... We talked about it. Yeah, we did the last time you were on. That was a few months ago. We are now, right now, in that time period. I wonder how you and and maybe some of your, your fellow veterans are feeling around this time of year, one year later. I think veterans accept the risk that are involved in doing our job, doing the job that they're trained to do. What veterans really appreciate is, is individuals stepping up to the plate and saying, don't worry, we've got your family, we've got your back. We will make sure your kids get educated. We will make sure you have a house to live in, mortgage-free. And I think those organizations do a tremendous job in, in helping individuals who have to deal with this, especially a lot long distance, because it takes a long time for a lot of these folks to heal yeah. when they do come back. And this is a big part of it knowing that some of these major elements in just life are taken care of. Yep. I don't know about you. I'm still a year later. I'm almost even more angry, Mike, because, uh, and I don't want to make this political. I try not to get into politics on the American Veterans Show. But then there's reality. It just does not seem like we as as civilians, uh, you as, uh, as veterans, we really don't have a lot of clear answers and with that said, I think I'm as mad, if not more angry, a year later than I was at the tragedy last year. I wonder if you feel the same. I think there are a lot of veterans that feel betrayed because when you have a procedure like that and you tend to not take into consideration the first thing that most military members are taught, and that is never leave anyone behind, yep. and especially the officer corps in any branch of service, um, and then all of a sudden you see this happen to us and to the, to the group that you're supposed to be taking care of, it angers a lot of people. And, it, and I think it, it builds a lot of discontent in, within the ranks. And I hope that over the, ne- over the next few months and couple years, things will change. Mm. The military will get back to taking care of their own, which is what everybody's been taught to do yeah. in, the, in the ranks. Yeah, well said. 
We'll circle back as we wrap up with uh, Mike Fossey with the Folds of Honor uh, and uh, Patriot Day Golf Tournament at Tarmigan Country Club. It's September 12th. All of the details. It'd be great to have some of you that listen from northern Colorado, especially. I know you're out there because I hear from you occasionally, and it is an honor to do that uh, uh, you know, to hear from you, but get out there if you can. And then all of the information on the website, a way to sponsor a foursome, if you'd like, or, or sponsor a veteran. Once again, PatriotGolfNOCO.com. That's PatriotGolfNOCO.com. Mike, I wish you the best of luck. And uh, I will, whatever, you know, maybe I will be more than happy to promote this as long as we can in the years to come. I know this is your third annual, and we're honored that uh, for two years in a row we can connect with you guys. Well, we appreciate the opportunity, and we're already planning for next year because next year our event will be on 9 11. So, oh, wow. um, Monday, 9 11. So, we are already preparing to make it bigger and better. Um, we, we hope that folks from southern Wyoming, northern Colorado, the Patriots come out, and if you can't play, just come out at noon and watch us kick it off. I think uh, Colorado State's uh, Army ROTC detachment. Nice. A number of a number of folks will be there. We and it's a it's a great opportunity to look at what we can give back as a community to the veterans that have given so much. Well, Patriot is in the title Patriot Day Golf Tournament, and my friend, I certainly consider you one. Mike, thank you as always, and we'll talk to you soon on the program. Great, thanks, Stefan. Look forward to. It. One of these days catching you up there. Amen. I'm going to maybe try to get there on 9-11-2023. Mike Fossey with Folds of Honor. I know it sounds like a broken record, but I'm going to give it to you one more time. PatriotGolfNOCO.com. That wraps up our program. Thank you to Mike. And uh, also from earlier in the program, I hope you enjoyed our segment from uh, a true patriot, United States Navy veteran, and he's still in the reserves, uh, Indiana representative, Jim Banks will continue to follow his progress through politics as well as uh, bring him back on the American Veteran Show. That wraps up this week's edition for our wonderful producer, Michael Arpaio. I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a great week ahead. Join us on the regular program tomorrow, 3 to 7 Mountain Time. And as always, remember our troops. The American Veteran Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.